This episode is brought to you by G2A. With so many different digital storefronts these days, it can be difficult to find the best bang for your gaming buck. G2A has been helping solve this problem since 2013, offering over 75,000 digital gaming products in one easy-to-navigate marketplace. In need of some awesome electronics, gadgets, or geeky merchandise, G2A has you covered there as well. And the best part, it all comes with steep discounts you won't find anywhere else. See the deals that you've been missing and let them know that we sent you by visiting bit.ly slash rhpg2a. That's bit.ly slash rhpg2a. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 38 of Retro Hangover. Welcome to the show where we are dashing to deflower devilish debutantes, rendering radically radar regardless whether it's really required. This is episode 38 of the Retro Hangover Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chris Copleen, and I'm here, as always, with your host, Shane Dick Dragon Wampa Stompa Koski. All right, I think so far this is my favorite nickname. You like I, shall that one? Hence, I shall henceforth be known as the Wampa Stampa. The Dick Dragon Wampa Stampa. Oh, yeah, well, let, let's not forget that part. That's important. Gotta have the Dick Dragon, <laughs> which is either a scaly dick or uh, you just, you're dragon. I, I think, like, canonically at this point, ba- based on fan feedback, I'm pretty sure it's just literally a dragon that is also a dick. And there is a picture out there of the Dick Dragon, just so in case <laughs> anyone wants to know that. It, it will yes. be... I don't know. Can we publish? Can we publish that to our Instagram account, or would it be um, taken down? Is is it I like? Do, I it's don't borderline? know. I don't know. I feel like we we may need to there there may need to be some some modifications to make it a little more a little more clandestine. But we'll we'll see. We'll I mean, see. It's not it's not a penis. Like it's it's modified. Like if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure the way you drew that, it had some like. A, a hairy scrot on it, which I, which I think might might be a. It's bit his legs. There's his legs. Mm, hmm. Well, you know what? You can make that argument when it, our content gets taken down. That's fine. No, that's just that one. Uh. So, Chris. Hi. Hi. What have you been up to the uh, past week or two? Yeah. Uh, lots of time off, fortunately, which is nice because. Oh, that you know, that's have... different from the usual. Yeah, four-day weekend. I probably should have been getting ahead in college work, but I haven't just because I'm just starting to get burnt out the whole college thing, which isn't mm. good because eventually I'm, I'm going to be taking two courses this summer, which probably not the smartest thing. But other than that, I've been playing um, Wild Arms 2. I'm trying to wrap that game up, as you've heard in the previous episode. So probably, yeah. hopefully by our next episode, I will not say anything about Wild Arms 2 or not. I can just say uh, the plot is horribly written. And it's just every emotional scene, well, not every emotional scene, but every scene that's supposed to have emotion to it is just completely ruined because the game decides to have the same generic music it has through the rest of the game and put it with that. And that and emotional scenes are just way too often. They come they like, I don't know what they expected from the player they're making. It. it just seems to hit constantly and it just gets to the point where I don't care anymore. 
um, in terms of emotion. Like nothing's a surprise anymore. Doesn't have to say mm. there aren't emotional scenes, but it's just kind of so 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 poorly written dialogue and and ham fisted emotional scenes. It makes me f- makes me think of the Star Wars prequels. Yes, hmm. except it's much more bland. It's I don't know. It's, it's do they talk about sand at any point? That's Dune. <laughs> So, okay, so they don't go into how, how you know, how coarse it is and that it gets everywhere. Oh, God. <laughs> is that is that episode two? Uh, yeah, yeah. Consequently, the, the same episode that has just a whole bunch of bullshit scenes of Padme and Anakin rolling around in a field somewhere on Naboo or something. And man, that movie is really bad. That's probably, no, I'm not even going to say probably. That is the worst Star Wars movie. It doesn't even have the cheese factor where you can make fun of it, like the Christmas special. Because you can watch the Christmas special, the infamous Christmas special, which is terrible. And, like, the acting is definitely worse than the Christmas special and the adventures of what's going on with the damn Wookiees. But, like, Star Wars Episode Two is so bad, it's you can't even enjoy making fun of it. Because it's just, there's nothing there. It's just so stupid. Maybe you can. Yeah, Maybe I yeah. need to go back and we, we need uh, to have a there there are some there are some parts. Like there's there's one scene I believe is in episode two that's really great where they've kind of memed it now and uh mm-hmm. they, they make it they make it look like, you know, when Anakin's talking about Padme, they're sitting across from each other at a table, like having dinner or something, and he, he says something that's super serial killery, like I don't I don't even know, like I, something about her being in his dream since he was a kid or something. And she has this like panicked smile on her face, making it look like she's trying to hit a panic button like underneath the table. Get me out of your spank bank. <laughs> uh, so there, it has its moments, but it's it's pretty bad. They need to they need to re-release that movie, you know, episode, you know, the the, the original trilogy style that uh-huh. Lucas did when he did mm-hmm. that when um when when Han shot first. I think he shot. I don't know how it goes. It's stupid. It's a stupid argument. No one cares. But in any case, they need to splice in like. Yeah, no, that's the, good, Chris. Say, yeah. say that the one of the biggest controversies in Star Wars lore is stupid in our Star Wars episode. <laughs> this so is a good way get, to get new listeners. <laughs> well, because it gets you butt hurt. It gets the it gets the emotions flowing. But they need to splice in like a, a the Final Fantasy ten scene in in, epi, in episode two with Titus and Yuna laughing, and that just oh, make it God. perfect. Ha 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 ha. In any please, case, please no. Uh, Shane, what have you been up to? Oh, what have I been up to? Um, well, uh, it, it, you, you, most of you that are listening probably didn't catch it because I saw who was watching, and none of y'all were there. But that's okay. We still love you. But I, uh, I had a, a small personal achievement yesterday. You know, I in my in my advanced years at this point, I'm basically a gaming grandpa now. I think anyway, but I. Um, I managed to get through Contra 3 in easy and normal difficulty with, I think, only two continues and no save states. So, and that was all on Twitch live with with Chris there to support slash berate me at the same time. So that Mostly was berate. Yeah, m- mostly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I know it. I know you mean well, probably. But we'll uh, yeah, sure. But there's that. Um Outside of that, honestly, I haven't really been playing a whole lot different. I haven't had the time. I've been running around everywhere the past uh, week or two for various family events. But um, I'm still cracking away at uh, Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. And uh, the new season in Diablo 3 started up 
uh, within the past week or two. So season 17 is live. So I started a brand new seasonal character, rolling a wizard this time. Um, so having some fun with that as usual, but that'll probably only last maybe a week or two at most. And then I've kind of done everything I need to do for the season. So Diablo three will go back on the, the virtual shelf until, until the next one. But are you going to uh, be playing wild vanilla? Oh man, I don't know that I'm torn about that. I'm going to be honest. P- part of me, you know, realizes that I, I don't have the time in my life to, to do that kind of a thing. But at the same time, I, I, I really want to play it again. So I, this time I they get know. to they get to charge you for what people have been able to accomplish for free for the past couple of years. What do you mean for free? They have fifteen dollars service charge, right? They're going to be charging fifteen dollars a month for you to play WoW Classic. Oh, do you mean because people have been playing them on like illegal private servers for all these years? Is that what you mean? Not illegal servers, freedom servers. <laughs> yes, sure, d- d- democracy servers, whatever. Yes. Um, I mean, yes and no. I, I don't know. I, I guess having a, an officially supported version of it is nice because those private servers can be kind of, kind of janky. I actually played on one for a little while, and it was mostly okay. But not having, not having that server support there to make sure it's a smooth experience definitely kind of hinders things a little bit. So I don't know. I, I might check it out for a little while, maybe a month or two, just to see if my nostalgia is as accurate as I think it is. Based on some preliminary videos I've seen people posting of the beta for it, mm-hmm. um, it's actually, overall, the the response has been surprisingly positive. I was under the impression that people were going to realize that their their rose-tinted glasses was were making everything seem better than it actually was, but... Uh, Apparently, Blizzard has done a pretty good job of um, kind of faithfully recreating, uh, I think it was patch 1.12 of the game, which includes the Anixia and Molten Core raids, uh, but also kind of uh, including some mostly user interface quality of life improvements. So um, it seems they've struck a balance pretty well there. So I, I may check it out for a little bit at the very least. I can relive my 2004 college glory days. Oh, those days. 2004. Those days. That's so long ago. It's like 15 years ago now. Jesus Christ. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, in any case, we, <laughs> we missed the greatest segue earlier because what is this week's episode, Shane? Uh, it's, um, it's coarse and it gets everywhere. That is correct. We are talking about Star Wars, one of the episodes today. Um, actually, is it canon anymore? So, <laughs> so I'm sure maybe one of our listeners that is, uh, more hardcore into Star Wars fandom than either of us could probably tell us what this means. But when I was doing my research for this episode, uh, according to, I believe, Wikipedia, that was Wikipedia, by the way, not Wookie. Wikipedia. Wookie. Um, it is part of Canon C whatever that means. So I guess maybe it's technically canonical, but like in some esoteric sort of way, I honestly, I have no idea. It's depressing. That's what it is. Uh, it's, it's awesome. So, so we're talking about shadows of the empire 
Just we'll we'll just get to that. Shadows um, of the Empire. Yeah, for the Nintendo sixty four, and also I kind of feel to a lesser extent that Windows ninety five because I, anybody yeah. I ever knew played it on Nintendo. But um, and for the Barnes and Noble. What Barnes and Noble? Yeah. What are you talking about? It was a book. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was bad, and you should feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, so we're, we're gonna, we're gonna talk a little bit about, um, obviously the game itself, but, but also a lot of the, uh, Shadows of the Empire multimedia stuff that was surrounding it, because, uh, evidently neither Chris nor I knew that this was a much bigger event than just the game release. So, um, I'm going to go into that in the, in the history, this episode, which is going to be a little bit longer than usual because we've got. Um, a bunch of stuff to cover. All right, Shane, please take us away and give us the brief history, or maybe, like you just said, maybe not so brief history of Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. It is a time of crisis. Imperial probes scouring the galaxy for the hidden rebel base have discovered their outpost on the remote ice world of Hoth. Darth Vader, obsessed with finding Luke Skywalker, has sent his forces to engage the rebels in battle. With the dreaded Imperial Starfleet approaching, a lone freighter has entered the Hoth system. The year was 1994. Lucasfilm publishing director Lucy Autry Wilson met with Bantam Books editor Lou Aronica to discuss the future of Star Wars-related publications. It was during this meeting that Aronica proposed a major Star Wars multimedia crossover event. The intention was to explore all the commercial possibilities of a major motion picture release without actually making the film. Later that same year, Lucasfilm met with franchise licensees, including representatives from LucasArts and author Steve Perry, to discuss this ambitious initiative. The project was chiefly meant to reignite interest in the Star Wars franchise ahead of the release of the prequel trilogy, as well as George Lucas's special editions of the original films slated for 1997. Lucasfilm originally wanted the focus to be on the main characters between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, but John Knowles, game designer for Star Wars Dark Forces, suggested that it instead take place between Empire and Return of the Jedi an era explored by no other Star Wars material up to that point. And thus, Star Wars Shadows of the Empire was born. The main plot line that drove the rest of the surrounding multimedia for Shadows was told in a novel by aforementioned author Steve Perry. The book finds Princess Leia and Lando Calrissian leading an ultimately unsuccessful attempt to liberate Han Solo from bounty hunter Boba Fett. Aware that Luke Skywalker will attempt to rescue Han from Jabba the Hutt, Darth Vader sends an agent to Tatooine to capture him. As Luke works to construct a new lightsaber, Battle of Hoth veteran Dash Rendar saves him from assassins on swoop bikes. Meanwhile, on Coruscant, Prince Zizor, the most powerful crime lord in the known galaxy, targets Luke in an attempt to curry favor with Emperor Palpatine. Palpatine instructs Vader to trust Zizor, even though the Crime Lord is secretly scheming to overthrow both of them. Zizor then kidnaps Leia in an attempt to bait Luke. Lando and Dash sneak into Zizor's palace to save the princess from his clutches. 
of all the Shadows of the Empire tie-in media products, the most commercially promoted would be a video game developed for the Nintendo 64 and Windows 95 platforms. With the early decision against making main franchise characters playable in the game, the developers at LucasArts were afforded more freedom to tell their story. They ultimately chose to build upon the minor, but crucial, character of Dash Rendar. The game's 3D world was built using the Jedi Engine's level editor, previously leveraged by LucasArts for their Star Wars Dark Forces and Outlaws titles. The game was originally planned to contain 19 levels. During development, it was reported by Nintendo Power Magazine that that number was reduced to 12. Ultimately, the game would ship with only 10. A prototype Nintendo 64 was not yet available when the LucasArts team began work on the game, so they resorted to developing on a Silicon Graphics, or SGI, Onyx. Development would continue on the Onyx machine for roughly 18 months before near-final N64 hardware was provided to the team. Fortunately, two developers had extensive experience with the SGI platform, allowing the team to port the game to the new hardware in about three days. For a prototype controller with which to actually test the game, LucasArts was given a modified Super Nintendo controller with a rudimentary analog stick and Z-Trigger designed by Konami. To further complicate matters, the strict non-disclosure agreement the team was under dictated that the prototype controller had to remain within a cardboard box that the team could place their hands inside in order to use it. During production, senior marketing director of Nintendo Shigeru Miyamoto thought that the character of Dash should be more lively, suggesting the inclusion of idle animations and more dynamic flourishes of his weapons. Subsequently, motion capture was done at LucasArts' sister company, Industrial Light and Magic, but the recordings proved to be unusable, so keyframe animations had to be used instead. Music for the game began with MIDI approximations of the original trilogy's score by John Williams, but the team felt that these did not accurately capture the essence of the songs, so digital samples were used in their place, a move that would make the N64 version of the game unique from its synthesized music counterparts. As part of the overall Shadows of the Empire multimedia event, a full original soundtrack composed by Joel McNeely was recorded with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. Samples from this soundtrack were used in both versions of the game, with the Windows version containing several full tracks. After a demonstration of the game at E3 1996, which was met with mixed reactions, LucasArts canceled their plans to make the game a Nintendo 64 North American launch title, postponing the release until December to allow for more polish. Mark High Hutchinson, project lead for Shadows of the Empire, shared his frustrations with working to complete the game under such conditions, stating, Some team members regularly working over a hundred hours every week for the better part of a year. We had to release the game shortly after the launch of the machine, and so we were under more pressure than might usually have been encountered. Shadows of the Empire would eventually be released in North America on December 3, 1996 for the N64, three months after the console's launch. With over 1 million copies sold by 1997, it was the third top-selling N64 title for that year, and the third top-selling game on any system for the 1996 Christmas shopping season. The Windows 95 version would be released one year later, on September 17th of 1997. Upon release, the game received generally mixed reviews. 
The most common sentiment was that of praise for the opening Battle of Hoth sequence, with the rest of the levels being seen as mediocre at best. Shadows of the Empire would eventually see a re-release for modern Windows systems on May 3rd, 2016 through Good Old Games, allowing the game to be properly played on 64-bit architecture. And that is your not-so-brief history of Shadows of the Empire. So yeah, that sounded like there's a lot of things going on with Shadows of the Empire, because all that I really knew of it was it was a book. I had no idea what was going on, because I'm not one of those big Star Wars guys that just kind of casually follow it. Sure. Um, and that it was an N64 game with a cool-ass character who got screwed out canonically thanks to Disney. So <laughs> that's about the extent of my knowledge of Shadows of the Empire. Yeah, I um, I mean, like you, I had no idea that there was this whole crossover media thing surrounding it. Um, my my only expo- I didn't even know there was a book actually. My my only exposure to Shadows of the Empire was quite literally just the N sixty four game, and I'm pretty sure that I got that for Christmas one year because I saw that there was a Star Wars game for my Nintendo sixty four, and thought that was cool, so I wanted it. That that was that was about it. Um, I had no knowledge of the books and and the, there was a uh, comics that were made for it as well and uh, all the other stuff and apparently I, I think they were probably planning more for this to happen because Chris um, you had you had actually pointed something out to me prior to the start of this episode that I never paid attention to either that sort of hinted at this so um, so what was that Oh, yeah, and the, and the special, what were they called? Special editions? Yeah, well, or maybe use the term special loosely, but yeah, sure. Uh, they In Tatooine and A New Hope, the Outlander, which is Dash Rendar's uh, ship, is seen taking off from Tatooine. So that kind of shows that maybe Lucas was wanting to do more with that character and that franchise. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, we're never going to know now. Uh, obviously, just because of how it's progressed and how so much the series has changed and how much they've done to the extended universe. I mean, to be fair, it, it I suppose there's always the possibility. You, I mean, I guess you could hold out some kind of hope for that, right? Because uh, I, I did not expect them to be digging back into the Knights of the Old Republic well either, but... There have been many reports recently that uh, apparently they are going forward with uh, producing some stuff based on on that, which I really hope is good. I think Disney's going to stray away from from the main source material for a while, like the the nine episodes after the Rise of the Skywalker comes out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just like I thought, Rogue One was phenomenal, uh, just based off the basic plot and premise of Shadows of the Empire from my interaction with it on the N sixty four and what I've heard about the books is that would be a phenomenal movie for them to come out with. Uh, just to bridge the gap, like bridge the gap in between uh, Empire and uh, Jedi and just introduce kind of a new character that could be fun. Because, like I said, they did Rogue One right. So I know a lot. There are some people that don't like Rogue One and they're entitled to the wrong opinion. But <laughs> I thought it was very, very good. Uh, so they especially in a setting that everyone understands and kind of knows what happens. And, yeah, a lot of the results are, are already told just being a prequel or whatever it is. Um, it'd be fine, especially like nice, the old Republic. We all know what happens to it. So is that the Mandalorian? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, for no, no. Um, I think that's something that's separate. They, they were going to be making, I'm pretty sure it was, uh, 
pretty sure it was a movie if not a movie then a series i can't recall off the top of my head right now but in any case they were going to be making some new content based on Mm -hmm. the knights of the old republic storyline any case we're we're getting way too much into the weeds with star wars uh let's get back into the, the game angle of it and i got it for christmas a christmas as well so knowing that release schedule, knowing how big Star Wars was back then, I think for you and me, we probably both got it that launch Christmas because I, I think, think so. I remember I think I remember getting that uh, Super Mario 64 and Bomberman 64. Mm. Um, so that was those were the those were the games that I remember first getting right off the bat for the N64. And we're going I think we're going to talk about this a lot more in detail but because of where it was launched and how close it was launched to, you know, the, the, the released close to the launch window of the N64, I think a lot of people who haven't played it recently uh, would be quite shocked to find out about the game's actual quality. <laughs> All right. Well, we're just going to go directly into that already, huh? OK, fine. Well, I mean, let me talk about the good things first. Be a short conversation. So, <laughs> is that what you're, is that what I don't think it would be that short. I really don't. <laughs> All right, so uh, Chris, Chris and I have some differing opinions about this game, which I think is going to become very evident very soon. But um, I, I think I like this game more than it probably deserves objectively. Um, this is this this is the same okay. as uh, let's see what 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 was that other game that we had talked about that I said that I liked but was actually total garbage. Castlevania sixty four. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Huh. Another 64 title. Interesting how that worked. Yeah. Out. Um, yeah. So similar to that. Uh, so the, the game probably doesn't deserve it really. Um, and looking at it now, I, I, I can see why, and we're going to go into some detail about the, the different levels in this game, um, and why they're not good. Um, but overall I, I have a personal appreciation for it that is definitely um, very, very biased. So, <laughs> well, I'm sure. I mean, I, I think I, when you ever have a game that comes out on a system and that's one of your very few games, especially back then when the N64 didn't have much, you're going to look back on that game with rose tinted glasses. It, it's going to happen. And that's why when I got an N64, one of the first games I got was Shadows of the Empire, which I got for like $4. And by the, by the way, I still think there's a very good reason why it's only $4. Um, it's still a very low price game. But so let's 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 talk about some of the good things, because we've already said there's obviously some underlying issues here. Uh, So some of the good things and I'll I'll kick one off probably at the time until Rogue Squadron came out, the best flight shooter game available uh, on a console. Do you mean overall or 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 just the first level? (laughs) First level. (laughs) <laughs> okay. I mean, the, the other the other levels aren't bad, but like the, the first level was it felt like Star Wars. It was Star Wars and it was it blew everybody away when it came out. Um, is it? And I, obviously, yeah, it's better. I think like that one level is better than most of Descent for the original PlayStation, even with the awesome controller. So uh, it, it's probably had the most engrossing and uh, entertaining space shooter theme or flight scene in a video game up until that point uh in a an immensely cinematic in a universe a lot of people were familiar with and i thought 
that level to this day, I still think that level is amazing and outstanding. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So for some context, for those of you who haven't played Shadows of the Empire, the, the first level is the Battle of Hoth. So you, you are, f- you are flying a, a rebel ship and you are basically doing what they did in Empire where you are fighting off, you know, the Imperial, um, probe droids and the, um, the ATSTs, and then ultimately the ATATs, which um, it's actually optional to do this, and you get uh, challenge point awards for it in the game if you if you pull it off. Um, but you you actually can shoot off your tow cable from your ship and circle around the ATATs um, and trip them and and make them fall over and destroy them just like they did in the movie. Um, and, and so that was obviously being the first level of the game. Um, that was what a lot of people saw, uh, initially for shadows and, um, and yeah, it was done very well. Um, there's not really a lot I can see to fault that, that first level. Um, it's, it's a compact experience. It's tight. The controls are, are pretty good. Um, especially with that N64 controller, the way that it is, um, and and you're basically reliving, you know, the first scenes of Empire Strikes Back. So there's not really a lot that you can say against that. Um, unfortunately, the 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 quality kind of takes a nosedive after that. Oh yeah, it's it's a great Trojan horse level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's like a band that releases a single that you're super into on the radio, and then when you go and buy the album, the rest of the album is just total garbage. Because I know yes. that, that that's happened to me before. It's kind of like Which that. Is, yeah. This is why iTunes has destroyed the music industry. Indeed. So uh, let's okay. Uh, let's, well, let's stick welcome with the good. to our iTunes criticism <laughs> podcast. Let's uh, let's talk about it. Let's stick with the good here. Well, okay, speaking fine. of iTunes, this is how we can segue. Uh, oh, speaking okay. of iTunes, another good thing about this game is that again, for the time for an N sixty four game, the music is outstanding. Yes. Uh, yeah. They, they, they you're talking about how they wanted to go with MIDI. They, I am so glad they they decided not to go with MIDI because, wow, for an N sixty four game, that's good. Yeah, yeah, and as I mentioned in in the the history too, you know, this is it was this was notable in that it was one of the few. I don't want to say only because I can't verify that right now, but either one of the only um, or very few N sixty four games that actually had digitized music in it rather than um, synth. So yeah, so the quality was was apparent, and and actually, I, I didn't mention it in the history because we we're kind of running long on it anyway. But uh, a fun fact about that is that Nintendo actually had to make some concessions uh, with the the hardware, um, and they had to provide them with um, like a larger chip inside of the the cartridge for this one to accommodate um, the amount of music that they actually wanted to include in the game just because of the you know the file size of it at the time what people have to understand too is prior to shadows of the empire uh, except for maybe pc just because you have the cd audio and i don't think anything had come out on the playstation yet at this point i I could be wrong but no one had the john williams score on a star wars game on a console like that i mean you hit start and it goes you know the, the, the star wars theme kicks up and you got the scrolling text like it, uh, it felt. I was like really a Star hoping Wars you were movie. gonna like just start humming the song. <laughs> I almost did. I, I I stopped myself. 
yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. So in in that way, right? In, in a digitized mm-hmm. version of it, because obviously there were games prior to that that had that. I mean, you know, you had the Star Wars games for the Super Nintendo that had, uh, you know, adaptations of of the Star Wars theme, but but not like this. Uh, another thing I, I, I would say the plot isn't terrible. No, but I think that also is just because the plot was basically the book. Like well, yeah. the, the, the book was the main driving force behind this whole multimedia thing. So you can thank, um, the author for, you know, creating a decent plot line for the novel. And then they had the, that source material to work off of for, for the game. Of course. And uh, lastly, has some of the best cheats in all, and well, especially again, it, you're going to hear a lot of for the time. It has some of the best cheats <laughs> in a Star Wars game uh, that you could have. Uh, a lot of good cheats, a lot of good ways to rig the system. It's a lot of fun things. Like you could fly in an X-wing or a Tie mm-hmm. Fighter, or you could take control of an AT ST, ATST, and it has a lot of good cheats. So there's that. Yeah, and there is um, that. For me, that's 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 pretty much about it. All right, so um, I kind of wanted to, not in like excruciating detail, but I do want to step through some of like the levels in the game and just talk a little bit about how they were and why maybe there's some redeeming factors in them that 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 might not be readily apparent. <laughs> All right, so what he's trying to say is we've enjoyed our Taco Bell. Now it's time for the diarrhea butt spray. <laughs> Great. I'm glad we're, we're on the same page about this. That's, that's good. <laughs> All right. So obviously the Battle of Hoth is the high point of this game. Um, it, it's the it's the most polished and the, the most enjoyable experience of, of all the, the 10 levels that are kind of logically broken up into four chapters in the game. Mm-hmm. So you have you have kind of a smattering of different. Uh, game styles within this one title, which I honestly think that the developers should be at least marginally praised for, because I think it was ambitious for them to do that. You have not only the, you know, the Hoth battle where you're controlling, um, you know, a ship and you kind of have, well, you have free flight within a certain, you know, area. Um, So you have that. And then you have the shooter sections uh, which are third person, and I believe you can toggle to first person if you want to. Um, but by default, they're third person shooter sections. Uh, then you also have space combat, where it's you really aren't, uh, f- you don't have free movement. So you're kind of um, just sort of set in one area, but then you can sort of roll around in any direction and aim your guns from where you're at. So you have ships kind of flying at you from all different angles and you have to look at your radar to figure out where they're coming from. So you have that sort of a thing. And you also have another level where you're piloting a swoop bike through a city, which actually feels like a racing game. Um, so, and then, yeah, and then you've also got some other vehicle controls at different points in the game. Um, you've also got like jet packs and stuff. So they did a lot of different things and it could be argued that like, maybe they tried to tackle too much and did all of these things like marginally well. (laughs) Um, But I I think it's at least commendable that they attempted to do that. So the, the shooter levels, I will say by and large are total shit. You think Um, so? Yes, actually. I think they're the most frustrating and annoying levels. Um, 
well, yeah, pretty much all of them. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking through it now and you have, you have either just your stock like shooter level, which is basically the second one after, uh, immediately after the, the battle of Hoth, you get dropped into the, the base and you have to escape and you fight a bunch of stormtroopers and eventually you fight an ATST. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Those are terrible. I thought when you said shooter, I thought you meant like kind of like the on rails turret, turret shooters. No, no, no. I meant like the third. Those are the best shooters. parts of the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, there's something we agree on. Um, yeah. No, no, no. I mean the third person shooting. That stuff sucks. That was um, terrible. So the controls are super janky. Um, they're really hard to control. You kind of feel like you're moving through mud through most of it. The the shooting is kind of pseudo auto targeted. So as long as you kind of point in the general direction of an enemy, your laser fire will probably hit them which i think is a small mercy because the developers realize that trying to aim dash with that analog stick sucks um but then they you also can't hold down the z button what's that you can't hold down the z button yeah yeah you can um so i guess that helps but uh but then like you think that they were kind of taking that into consideration, right? But then they also included several points in a lot of these levels where you have to do a bunch of third-person platforming, which is oh, so I, I, frustrating. The jumping, and let me talk about the jumping real quick. Yeah. The jumping in this game, the platforming in this game, I absolutely despise it. I can't tell you how many times where I saw a platform, I'm like, there's no way the game expects me to jump on that. Because it just, it doesn't look in place. It looks like it doesn't belong to part of the path, the linear path, or if I jump on it, that's going to take me to like a secret area or something like that to get goodies. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's like, no, you really have to jump on that. Like that's really the actual path you need to go to, to continue the game. And it, yeah. And I don't like the jumps. The jumping is weird and it doesn't, it seems like it's just in there because that's what games were at the time. You needed to do have platforming things. Remember, this is also the transition right when things were going from 2D to 3D. So almost every 2D game had to have platforms in its in its shooter, whippy, jumpy thingies, right? But you get to 3D platforming and they hadn't figured out yet, you don't need to jump on everything in order to make a good game as long as you have great level design. But they don't because they hadn't figured that out yet. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of, I think a lot of the things that detract from the experience in this game can kind of be chalked up to the fact that they were in a way sort of pioneering this stuff. So I, I got to give them a little bit of slack there. I mean, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you also, it's not like Castlevania 64 where you can kind of give them the benefit of the doubt and say like, well, you know, they weren't sure how to translate a traditional platformer to a 3D space. And so they tried to implement a bunch of platform jumping because that's what Castlevania was up until that point. Mm -hmm. They don't even have that for this because there was no precedent really for, for this thing. Um, they were just like, well, I guess that's well, what we're supposed to do. I said there were the there were the Super Nintendo Star Wars games. Well, sure. And I, I mean, I guess those are just straight up platformers they're action too. platformers yeah, yeah. So, so i guess i guess in the yeah. same way you could say that i don't know I, I guess i'm just saying that like with castlevania they've got a little bit more leniency i in my opinion just because they've got a legacy that they were working with whereas this one could have done something totally different and i don't think too many people would have been like well this isn't like you know star wars for my super nintendo this ain't this ain't my star wars you know in the same way that a lot of castlevania fans probably would have felt I guess well, that's because, what I'm getting at. 
Well, Star Wars is more about the cinematic experience anyway, which is why I think when it was released, a lot of those sins were forgiven and they are overlooked just because you do have a lot of the cinema cinematography or cinematic. That's where cinematic like experience. Okay. But I'll just go with that. Um, It was was so engrossing that, yeah, we all overlooked the fact that shooting was was crap, that your laser had the power of a butter knife in in a butcher contest. So like it's it was yeah there's a lot of bad things um but it was pioneering a lot there was you do have to think about that too and i think that's also why it was accepted kind of going back to my previous point is we all expected jumping and platforming to be in games at that time right um especially when you get to the jetpack which is awful it's oh cool and God, awful at the dude. same time okay yeah so t- talking about this platforming thing so th- that first third person level after the battle of hoth there's not a ton of your of platform jumping um there's a little bit and then most of it is honestly just leading to um like you know bonus items or secret areas so it's it's kind of at a minimum to start with but man do they go balls to the fucking wall with the jumping and platforming in the later levels um i can't honestly decide which one i hate more whether it's the the level where you're basically in like a canyon the entire time and then you end up fighting Boba Fett at the end with a jetpack mm-hmm. or the train level. I'm leaning towards the train level uh, because that one, Dash is on a speeding train the entire time and you have to jump over obstacles like cross beams and things uh, as the train is speeding along in this junkyard in addition to fighting enemies and then also jumping from one train to another while they're both moving at different speeds all while trying to do this with controls and, and a 3D space that are not conducive to this kind of thing whatsoever. I'm pretty sure that one probably takes the cake as far as worst one goes, at least for me. And if if anyone wants to know what these controls are, right? Because on paper, that sounds like a really fun game. Because if you sure. play that game with uh, with Mario 64's control or any of the Mario 3D Mario controls, that's a fun that's a fun experience. You know, jumping over stuff, jumping from train to train, that kind of stuff. It's fun. But you're playing the game with Resident Evil 4 controls. <laughs> And it does. It does have Resident Evil 4 controls because it is tank yeah. controls over the shoulder while you're shooting things. Except in Resident Evil 4, you're not running and jumping and trying to cross platforms with jump. It's not platforming in Resident Evil 4. And there's a reason for that because you those controls for that kind of purpose is absolute dog shit. So and, and, to, <laughs> and you can and figure to out your why point, when you play this game. Yeah. And to your point about like places where you don't think the game expects you to make those jumps that you actually do. That is like painfully evident in that train level where, um, you know, you have like another train that merges onto the tracks in front of you. This happens a couple of times and you have to gauge the distance to make the jump just at the right time because they're kind of wavering back and forth. And the, you know, personal issues with depth perception aside, whether or not you, you personally have a problem with that, it kind of doesn't matter because it's still incredibly difficult to gauge just how far you're supposed to jump and when you're supposed to jump just because of, you know, how the game, I mean, first of all, how the game is rendered. I mean, luckily I think it's a little Uh bit better with the PC version because the graphics are crisper, but 
you know, we all know that as much as, you know, we like the N64, those graphics were terrible. And even though we thought they were great at the time and shadows suffers more so from that than something like, uh, Mario 64, for example, because of the uh, color palette choice. And and it's not necessarily the developer's fault because it is what it is. I mean, you have a level Uh that's in a space junkyard. So what are you going to do? It's not going to be, you know, neon green and purple and pink or whatever. Uh You've got to go with, you know, friggin' brown and gray and black. And so when everything is different shade, it's like, it's like the gears of war effect, you know, is that same problem. And when you have a, a mess of graphics that are all the same shades of brown and green and black and gray, it's really, really hard to like gauge those jumps accurately. So there were plenty of times where I just plunged Dash Rendar to his untimely demise on the railroad tracks. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's not fun. Um, <laughs> Although the battle with IG-88 is pretty cool. but If you can find him, if you can see him. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't really want to give any excuses, but, I mean, this, of course, was back... We all thought, again, it looked great back in 1996. Um, up until, you know, you had games like Spyro that reinvented the way you did draw distances, and you didn't really have to worry about that too much in Mario 64, just because, first of all, Shigeru Miyamoto and the team at Nintendo are geniuses, and they always knew how to get the best out of their games. Um, whereas everyone else was just playing catch-up. And... Right. Again, yeah, especially when it's drab. So not only you have a fog effect in a drab area, it's not like you're going for horror. You're trying to have people have fun in a cinematic uh, world. Mm-hmm. And so what you get is back then in 1996, yeah, it's not a problem. But when you go back today in 2019 or, or even once they figure out how to make draw distances not shit, it becomes really, really bad. And the graphics themselves, it, it becomes too dark or too drab or too muddied, especially with that old N64 games, it's just too muddied, or too foggy, and there's always a problem in making anything look good. And maybe, yeah, maybe the Windows 95 version does look good, I haven't seen it. Because, uh, of course, you don't have to worry about draw distances on a PC, especially now, but, you know, they were still confined to the limitations of the hardware that they developed the game on, which, at the time, PCs hadn't really taken off and separated themselves from consoles like they have now, but... Uh, so the draw distance was still there, of course. It wasn't a, a complete leaps and bounds more powerful than the console version. Right, yeah. And, and so so there's a couple other things, um, you know, mo- moving to some of the other types of levels that, that the game had as well. Um, you, you had mentioned the, the space shooter levels um, previously. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I agree with you. I think those are probably, outside of, the the Hoth battle, of course. I think that those were the most fun that the game had to offer. Honestly, probably just because it, it is kind of just a straight up arcade space shooter at that point, which is a lot of fun. And you don't have those problems of trying to navigate yourself in this 3D environment at all because you're kind of at a fixed point. So really the only thing that you're worried about is keeping an eye on that radar and, you know, swiveling around to, you know, laser blast tie fighters and stuff and and that's always fun so those were definitely enjoyable the problem was is that i I don't think it it was getting to those levels (laughs) because you had to slog your way through this other bullshit in order to get there and the speed racer the speed racing level not nearly as fun as it used to be either because you realized you cannot control 
your speed bike. Oh, see, all. and see, I think that that was one good example of many things that in this game that I think were kind of like wasted opportunities um, because I think it was a good idea. I think they had a lot of good ideas. That was a great idea. I just don't think the execution was all that great. And I don't know whether it was because of the, you know, the, the environment that they were developing this under, like we talked about in the history or the time constraints, which also f- fun sort of thing about that. I found it amusing that the quote from the project lead was that, you know, that hundred hour weeks and stuff was something that was highly unusual and that they had to deal with that where a lot of people didn't. And now we're in, in, in an environment in the games industry where that kind of crunch is just like the norm, which is sad in its Sick. own right. Yeah. But, but um, so yeah, they, I think they had a lot of really great ideas. I just don't think they executed on them very well. I think that swoop bike level could have been a lot of fun, but the problem is, is like you said, it's shit to try to control that bike. Um, and then when you're contending with terrible controls, they also put you in very, very crowded, narrow, like city streets, right? Um, where you're just constantly crashing into shit. And the, the, of course, the point of that is so you can crash the other racers, right? Except, like in practice, it more than half the time it's just you who's crashing face first into a wall, you know? Right. And, and it's weird that that happens because pretty much every single level where you're on the ground walking around. It's wide open. In fact, it's boring open. Like there's just so much space in a lot of these levels. It's just there's nothing really going on. It's empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of space to move around. And finally, like you don't like it, it could probably benefit from being more confined at times uh, in, in, in the regular walking around levels. Not saying it's always wide open and empty, but there's a lot of time places in this game where it's wide open and empty. Yeah, well, um, like the, that Boba Fett level in the canyon, that's a prime example of that. Uh-huh. That level is and so even, open that it's just there's nothing there. So same with the Hoth base, you know, when you start that off until you start getting into the corridors. But there's areas in that base that are just really wide open mm-hmm. and there's nothing in it. And then you get to the swoop bike level uh, where it would benefit from being more wide open. And all of a sudden it's more condensed and uh, more claustrophobic kind of feel to it where like you make you're going so fast one wrong move and you're just pile driving and bouncing off walls and it's not fun uh, it may have been fun then just because the essence of speed you're getting from a console but it's not fun today especially with the advancements we've had in racing and even within the own se- with within star wars own series when you think about pod racer came out the same system like three years later yeah i was i was just thinking about that like star wars episode one pod racer is is still that actually that game still holds up today i, I have it on on good old games and i played it um several months back and it is still fun. Mm-hmm. I need to I need to dust it off, and I have the Dreamcast version, but um, the the N sixty four version was a very very good game. Uh, and that's another thing that come out of these games is you do have the Rogue Squadron game that came out a couple years later too. That was regarded to be one of the best shooters, you know, for the time. It was one of the best shooters. It's still regarded, you know, had a really good series that came after it as well. That's regarded to be one of the best shooting series, especially for Star Wars, to ever be released. So you definitely know that LucasArts learned from a lot of their mistakes from uh shadows of the empire but unfortunately they made a lot of mistakes in shadows of the empire i just don't think a lot of people uh remember all the mistakes that were there especially if they haven't played it recently uh like they played it back in the day they're they're not talking about it the same way we are right now yeah yeah um so i i think overall to to kind of bring this all together I, i think it's probably safe to say that 
our, our general assessment is that it's a game that had a lot of ambition and had a lot of really good ideas in it, but was largely unable to execute on those ideas properly, um, such that you kind of end up getting a, a very middling gaming experience pretty much throughout um, with a, an unhealthy smattering of some very frustrating sections that probably turned a lot of people off to actually finishing the game, which is also unfortunate because the last level is actually kind of cool. You get to do your own version of a trench run. but So you would say it does not hold up? You know, I, it, is this the first one? I think this might be the first one. Weirdly, where you say it, we, yeah, where I say that I don't think it's worth it. Really? I thought you said the same about Castlevania 64. We'll have to go back and listen to that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that was the first one, but it doesn't happen often, actually. But um, no. even though I personally, as, as I said before, have uh, an affinity for this game that is probably wholly undeserved, um, as a as an objective assessment, I would say it's probably not worth it. I, I if you have like five bucks to spare, um, and apparently you can get the cartridge version for about that same price too, <laughs> if that gives you any indication of the quality, um, uh-huh. you know, just grab it on good old games and spend the five bucks, if for nothing else, than to play that first Hoth level because that actually is a lot of fun. Um, and if you can manage to get yourself through the other levels, like I said, the space shooter ones are worth your time. Um, but outside of that, it's really hard to recommend. I'm going to be a little bit less eloquent than Shane here. Um, the game's platforming sucks. The game's uh, foot levels suck. Uh, the game doesn't have an identity. All the levels that do something great, like the first one, which is still outstanding, is fun. It's done better in other platforms. Does this game stand up? Absolutely not. But if you played it back in the day and you want a nostalgia trip to remind yourself why games weren't as good as they you thought they were, go ahead and get it, uh, Sparky. You'll have a great time, uh, but you won't, and you'll cry and realize that the N64 had some real, real serious problems that kind of get glossed over today. Not worth it. Don't buy it uh, unless, of course, you want to punish yourself. <laughs> well, there you go. Or, or you know, uh, a third alternative would be... Um join us on our stream Sunday because, uh, in probably the next week or two, uh, I will be hopping on our, our Twitch stream and playing through this game. So you can just and watch he might change his opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, you can just watch us play it and enjoy my frustration and suffering and save yourself from it. So there you go. Don't, don't put that evil on me, Shane. Don't put that evil on me. Don't say Chris is going to play Shadows of the Empire because no, I, that I is didn't, not I going. Didn't say no, that. I, I didn't. No, say that. no. I'm. I listen. <laughs> I am us. taking no, that burden you. upon myself. Okay. <laughs> I'll play Streets of Rage too when I'm on. We'll let Shane punish himself and and tell everyone that Shadows of the Empire isn't that bad of a game as he struggles to get through it. I mean, listen, I made it like three quarters <laughs> of the way through Castlevania 64 on our streams before, too. So I am I am not above subjecting myself to it. Yeah, this is true. This is true. But Castlevania 64 has charm. Shadows of the Empire has no charm. But but Dash Rendar, man, he's but skeletons he's on motorcycles, okay, skeletons well. on motorcycles. I, I can't argue with that. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, so I think that about wraps up our discussion for Shadows of the Empire. Um, yes. As usual, we, we appreciate all of you fine listeners joining us for this newest episode. 
there are, of course, many places that you can find us, of which I think most of you are aware now. We're on all of the major social media platforms. Um, you can just search Retro Hangover and you will find us. Um, mm-hmm. as, as we have stated over the past couple of episodes uh, in this, this month, we now have a couple of additional things out there that you can check out if you'd like. Uh, we have our Patreon that is available. Um, so if you like the show and would like to support us in that sort of fashion, um, then you can visit uh, bit.ly, bit.ly slash rhpatron and check that out. And we also have the merch store, which, um, by the way, we've gotten a couple of photos from some of our fans recently uh, repping our um, three-quarter sleeve shirts. Those seem to be the most popular ones, and I have one as well, so I can see why. Um, but that's really awesome. Um, so we love seeing you guys in, in the, in the RHP gear. So if you do go to the merch store, which, um, is at, uh, bit.ly slash RHP merch, um, and you grab yourself some stuff, whether it's a shirt or maybe one of the awesome ceramic steins, um, take a photo and send it to us, uh, you know, on Instagram or Facebook or what have you. And uh, we will be sure to feature that because we love seeing it. Make sure you pose like my French girls. Yes, absolutely. Seductive, oh, God, but, you know, legal. I, I just did a, a a YouTuber move. I'm sorry. Just disregard that. Um, <laughs> just, just send us your send us your pictures. Not nudes. Got no NS. Pro Jared is no leaking NF- into this SW. episode, too. He's everywhere. No. <laughs> All right. But yeah, go ahead, check out our merch. The Steins are fantastic. The Chiefs are fantastic um, if, if you're interested in that. And I also got the stickers and the buttons, which are also really cool. So uh, go for it. Everyone's very happy with the quality that they received. So I'm happy if you're happy with the quality. That's all I care about. Awesome. So yeah. uh, until next time. New joysticks. Joysticks.